This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. We are being transitioned from a physical, analog, real, and objective world and into a hyper-real, digital, fake, and subjective world. A world where anything and everything that claims to be real is nothing more than a simulacra of the real thing. A simulation of the real in appearance, in claims of beliefs and intentions that are the polar opposite of what they claim to be. Over the course of the past five years at Sovereign Nations, I have tried to warn about many things that were to be coming for all of us. I was the first to warn about the coming ideological attack from critical race theory and intersectionality back in 2017. I even warned the White House and our current Florida governor about the coming of CRT and how this was an attempt to create an oppressed oppressor narrative out of ethnicity. I was the first to warn about the coming threats to cognitive liberty in 2017. I was the first to warn in 2017 that there was a coming cultural revolution in the United States of America. In 2017, I warned everyone about the threats from the World Economic Forum and their public-private partnership with the United Nations. I warned in 2017 that our churches were going to be transitioned from the gospel of grace to the gospel of vengeance to a church infused with critical race theory and intersectionality, the tools of the coming cultural revolution. And that, in many ways in 2019, we had already started down the path of a nonviolent color revolution, Oatport style. I was the first person to warn of the Great Reset publicly, beginning in 2018 and continuing through 2020, long before anyone else was writing books and not understanding fully what was actually happening to us at the time. I warned of the global brain in 2020. I warned of the coming threat of China. I warned of the subjective and tactical nature of public health. In March of 2020, I warned that the health crisis that was now apparent was reflexive in nature, and that it would be used to catapult Western civilization into an algorithmic technocracy. I warned in April of 2020 that the next step in what was happening to all of us would be the introduction of the religion of climate change. I warned and explained what would happen to the presidential election in 2020. And I have always warned about what would happen if our currency, our monetary instruments in the United States, went digital. I also have warned about another deceptive threat, and have explained that if you want to have a progressive, liberty-stealing, counter-hegemonic revolution in your nation, the best way to accomplish it is to elect fake conservatives, those that claim to be Republicans who are deceptive wolves in sheep's clothing. Fabian, in fact, kind of like what has happened in the United Kingdom with Boris Johnson, who had claimed to be a conservative but has just finished destroying his nation's economy and is sending them into a technocratic socialism with the World Economic Forum. I have all the receipts. Ladies and gentlemen, especially those that are new to listening to this program, I have a track record of explaining what is really going on in the world. I am quoted extensively. I have explained for the past six years what is happening and what would be happening in our lives, in our faiths, and in our nations. And I haven't been wrong. So for those of you who are new to the show that are just now catching up to our combined audience of over 2.5 million from our podcasts, presentations, and debates, I tell the truth even when the truth contradicts all the reflexive propaganda around you. And if you live in the Tampa Bay region, particularly in Pinellas County, the most densely populated county in Florida, you have been bombarded with reflexive propaganda, slimy, grotesque, untruthful propaganda, like the kind you would see from Democrats against Republicans. 
And you might want to think about that for a moment. Now, most of my listeners know that I have been moderating debates for 23 years, philanthropically. It is what I have done since 1999. You see, I put debates together between Christians and Muslims, Republicans, progressives, and all sorts of other polemic discussions through the years. And in every case, I have insisted on the debates being free of ad hominem argumentation. I want the thesis or the topics to be debated and discussed, and not some personal slime campaign. So when I was asked to moderate and run the debate for the District 13 Republican primary this past April, I said, sure, I'm in, as long as this would be free from ad hominem. I explained how I'd want the format and began to create the framework for the debate. I also wanted to make sure that, if possible, that I would meet or at least speak to all of the candidates. I mean, I put debates together with Muslims and Christians and atheists and Christians and we end up making sure that the actual topics and positions are clear and concise, without any favoritism for either side of the argument. Now, as I was preparing for the debate, I had all sorts of people in my ear. And most of these people were telling me that Anna Paulina Luna must be defeated. Not saying why other candidates were better, but just that Anna Paulina Luna must be defeated. Which is kind of weird. So when I asked for specifics, all I received was easily refutable gossip. So over the next few months, I had made the time to try and contact the other candidates in the race for the U.S. House of Representatives seat that Charlie Crist would soon be vacating here in Pinellas County. And the other candidates were Amanda Mackey, Kevin Hazlett, Audrey Henson, and Christine Quinn. So my wife and I met with Amanda Mackey first, and I really like Amanda. She has a compelling story, is very intelligent, and seems to have her head on straight. I even introduced Amanda to some very connected donors when we were at an event together in Washington, D.C. I would actually say that, in total, I have spent more time with Amanda Mackey than any of the other candidates. I then met with Anna Paulina Luna, and despite all of the horrible and awful things that mainly Hazlitt supporters were telling me, I found Anna Polina Luna to be intelligent, focused, and with an excellent grasp on most of the major issues that I had been warning people about for the last six years. And if Anna wasn't exactly sure about something that I had stated or an ideological problem that I was addressing in our conversation, she would ask to know more. She would research. And in the end, Anna Polina Luna would start listening to my podcasts and interviews on the subjects. Now for me... This was key. She was eager to know more about something that she didn't immediately have knowledge of. Much like my friend Jenna Ellis, President Trump's attorney. Now, most of the candidates that I spoke to when I was talking to them just nodded and said things like, right and sure, when they obviously had no grasp at all on the issues that I was addressing with them. And it should be noted that we are currently addressing Congress on many of the issues, as well as some of the other candidates are preparing for a run in 2024. But these District 13 candidates, <laughs> actually a few were completely clueless, and for reasons that should make you nervous about the fact that clueless people who don't want to learn or know what is happening around them want to run your nation. That should scare the heck out of you. And that is one of the things that was the opposite with Anna Polina Luna. She asked. She wanted to know more. She would take a few notes. And I'm impressed by people that want to know more, that are willing and humble enough to say, tell me more about that. Because in many cases, my friends and I are the subject experts on these issues. Well, then I met with Kevin Hazlett, and we had a good lunch and discussed things. But again, the thing that was raised by Kevin is that Anna Polina Luna had to be defeated. And one of the reasons that was given is that when he was representing a man who had been accused of stalking Anna Polina Luna, that she couldn't handle the line of questioning that he brought to her. Apparently, Kevin thought that he would be better suited for tough questioning. Now, I had to leave on a longish trip for work, and I eventually caught up by phone with Audrey Henson and Miss Quinn. But it was around that time on my journey that I started to receive calls about a Kevin Hazlett fundraiser, where Kevin invited rhino-globalist Scott Brown 
to be his keynote. Yes, really, Hazlett invited rhino globalist establishment creep Scott Brown to pitch for a fundraiser. And according to every report that is online or that I heard personally, rhino globalist anti-Trumper creep Scott Brown said at Kevin Hazlett's fundraiser in reference to former President Trump in regards to January 6th this, quote, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he bears responsibility. I think his presidency was diminished as a result of this. And I think he's paying the price. He's been impeached twice. He was impeached for those actions, end quote. Ladies and gentlemen, this was at Kevin Hazlitt's fundraiser, and Kevin has been proclaiming everywhere that he is a Trump Republican. Now, if that is the case, why did Kevin have someone blaming Trump for what was an obvious Reichstag moment? And so one of Kevin Hazlitt's primary supporters calls me and says, quote, that's it, Kevin just blew it, he's out but yet his supporter is now still supporting Kevin. So the plot was thickening. And Anna Paulina Luna was stating to me personally that she would probably not participate in the debate with all of the dirty politics being played. But the next thing I know, people are calling me saying that, quote, the debate participants want some changes in the debate. And I asked about what? And I was told that, number one, they didn't want to talk about what was happening in Ukraine. Number two, they didn't want to address critical pedagogy. And I know most of my listeners are now kind of chuckling, thinking, well, why don't you want to talk about those things? So when I was asked by a staffer of Audrey Henson about what topics we might be addressing, I did list critical pedagogy. So for the sake of new listeners to the show... Let me quickly explain, if you don't know already, what critical pedagogy is. My subscribers and readers know fully the primary threat of critical pedagogy to our nation. So, critical pedagogy is the application of critical theory to and in education. Now, to help unravel what's contained in critical pedagogy, which is one of the most important concepts in critical social justice, we should begin by noting that pedagogy means theory of education. Critical pedagogy therefore includes at least two related things at once, applying critical theory to the theory of education itself and making education be about teaching critical theory. In other words, the way that you would look at things through a lens of critical pedagogy is that no longer could you say that two plus two equals four, because that answer comes from white privilege and from the colonizers. So you can do a roundabout by any other means, through a standpoint of epistemology, and you can come up with 2 plus 2 equals 5. That's how it works. But in the shortest summary, critical pedagogy is a school of thought that is about making education be about instruction in critical theory, in an attempt to make the goal of education be to awaken a critical consciousness in students and teachers. And critical consciousness is, in short, having adopted a critical mindset in the sense of critical theories. It is to have taken on a worldview that sees society in terms of systems of power, privilege, dominance, oppression, and marginalization, and that has taken up an intention to become an activist against these problematics. You problematize everything that you see, it is the new lenses, a new sensibility that you see the world through. In other words, we need a worldwide revolution in everything. And of course, the answers must come from the concepts of folks like Marx, from Foucault, from Derrida, from Marcuse. And to have developed a critical consciousness is to have become aware in light of this worldview of critical theory that you are either oppressed or an oppressor, or at least complicit in oppression as a result of your socialization into an oppressive system. To have a critical consciousness, then, is to be aware of, and generally unhappy about, your positionality in society or your relationship to systemic and institutional power as determined by theory and based mostly on facts concerning what demographic groups you are a part of. In other words, you are trained to have grievances about everything. 
everything is problematized. And everything must change. And change now. It is a Marxist form of education that was finally catechized by Brazilian Marxist Paulo Ferreira. And it has destroyed education. And it is destroying the church. You see, when a student has adopted a critical consciousness, they are likely to become hypersensitive to issues surrounding race, sex, gender, sexuality, ability status, weight, national origin, and economic class. And they are expected to share this awareness, often by attempting to expose the hidden biases or the unexamined assumptions or inherent contradictions in the system in order to expose its injustices and thus lead to its deconstruction, dismantling, or subversion that will eventually lead to a full-on social revolution. Now, this is most often done by problematizing things, which is to say, finding issues like secret hidden racism, wherever they can find it. So this mindset begins by rejecting questions like, quote, did racism occur, end quote, and replacing them with, quote, how has racism manifested in this situation, end quote. In other words, you're already coming up with your answer embedded within the question. And so you can take critical pedagogy and install it as the Marxification of education. You could simplify it and just call it grooming, if pedagogy is too much of a big college word for our candidates that don't want to talk about it. Or maybe you could just say the wokeification of our schools. And that is a primary reason that we have a woke revolution happening within our institutions of higher learning. And now... I am being told from several sources that the candidates don't want to talk about critical pedagogy. And this should again make you pause if you are a Florida voter. And so my first call, and I was in Savannah, Georgia at the time, was to Amanda Mackey. And Miss Mackey was very clear that she would love to address the problem of critical pedagogy and would be more than happy to discuss at the debate. But it was stated that Kevin Hazlett, Audrey Henson, and Christine Quinn were trying to solicit support to refuse to address critical pedagogy. So next, I decided to call Anna Polina Luna, who said basically the same thing as Amanda Mackey. She would like to talk about critical pedagogy because it is destroying our nation and our schools. So, to be clear that the gossip that I was hearing from the same sources that quote, the candidates don't want to talk about critical pedagogy, was from Kevin Hazlett, Audrey Henson, and Christine Quinn. And so I proceeded to call Audrey Henson, who stated that she didn't want to address subjects that would confuse the audience. My response was that this subject, the Marxification of education, was not going to confuse the audience. So for the first time in my 23 years of debate experience, I am seeing that there was a definite collusion between at least three of the candidates, with the attempt to involve Miss Mackey in their plans because they know that Miss Mackey and Miss Luna do not get along, and that's to put it mildly. But Mackey did not take the bait to her benefit. So by this time, the date has already passed for the candidates to return their signed debate agreements. And to his credit, the only candidate that turned his agreement in on time was Kevin Hazlett. And for the next week, the agreement's basically delayed, with Audrey Henson several days later, then Quinn and Mackey just a few days before the debate. And Anna Polina Luna indicated to me that she would most likely skip the debate and did not turn in the form before the debate. So here we are three days before the debate. I was in St. Augustine. And once again, I received a phone call from an active Kevin Hazlett supporter who was trying to convince me into believing that Anna Polina Luna was the daughter of Satan. <laughs> and here's the thing. I did quite a bit of research on each of the candidates. And as you know, I am the one that started the battle six years ago to save the Christian church from critical race theory, standpoint hermeneutics, queer Marxism, and so on. And so I checked the churches that each of the candidates claimed to attend. And one really stuck.
checkout. As a matter of fact, if this candidate attended this critical theory teaching church and was a member of this dripping with wokeness church, well, there was no way that this person could actually be a conservative. For that matter, there was no way that this candidate would actually be a historic Orthodox biblical Christian. This person would most likely be a neo-Gnostic. And this church that I'm referring to is the PCUSA Trinity Presbyterian Church in Clearwater. And the candidate who claimed that this was his church that he was a member at on his website was Kevin Hayslett. It is listed right at the bottom of his list of accomplishments and memberships. It states, quote, member, Trinity Presbyterian Church. Now, there is some purposed intent in listing that. He had to list it on his website. This isn't something that you had to dig to find out. Now, some of you who are new to the show might be thinking, eh, big deal. He goes to a liberal church. But this isn't a liberal church. This is a progressive, cultic simulation of the Christian faith in a cultic Gnostic form. It is a church which has infused its hermeneutic principles with ideologies like critical race theory, intersectionality, social justice, and, just to put it plainly, neo-Marxism. So if you're going to take a journey over to Trinity Presbyterian Church PCUSA's website, you could go to the webpage for the men's ministry and see that the men's study group is not a Presbyterian group of men focused on a study of, let's say, a Presbyterian like R.C. Sproul or Sinclair Ferguson. Now, they are meeting on Thursday mornings to learn why they can't trust the old version of God in the creeds and in that old book called the Bible. You see, the group of men at Kevin's church are here to understand that all those things that Christians used to believe about Jesus and salvation through grace, through faith alone in Christ alone, is all old hogwash to them. No, they are embracing and reimagining Christianity in a progressive way, sort of a great reset of Christianity. So progressive that their study on Thursday mornings is working through a book by none other than the recently deceased Bishop John Shelby Spong. Yes, John Shelby Spong, whose debate I moderated back in 2006 who would not follow the rules of the debate, who claimed that whatever anyone believed about the compatibility of homosexuality and Christianity in the past needed to be rejected for a new kind of Christianity. In other words, John Shelby Spong was for a great reset of Christianity, a neo-Marxist form of Christianity. Yes, that John Shelby Spong, whom I knew quite well personally, for years, who was a supporter of the Jesus Seminar, who was a heretic. John Shelby Spong denied every necessary doctrine in Christianity. But wait, there's more. And the more is that you can attend Trinity Presbyterian Church and become immersed in their 21-day racial justice challenge. Yes, now you can learn to have the Marxist doctrines of critical race theory, decolonization, critical immigration practices shoved down your throat at church on Sundays and Wednesdays and get your kids in on it too. More critical pedagogy. So it isn't just enough that your kids get indoctrinated with Marxism at school. No, you have to make sure that the entire family is involved in disrupting and dismantling both Christianity and the United States of America at the same time because that is what they are doing at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Clearwater. And Trinity Presbyterian Church in Clearwater is where Kevin Hazel claimed on his own website that he was a member. So everything that Kevin Hazlett says that he is against, open borders, amnesty for illegals, critical race theory, and even the World Economic Forum and UN policies that have been adopted by the Biden administration, like the new trick of enviro-communo-fascism, environmental justice. Heck, on Trinity Presbyterian Church's own website, they have on their recommended resources Peggy McIntosh's white privilege unpacking the invisible knack sack. 
which I had, of course, Jordan B. Peterson shred to pieces at our very first conference at Sovereign Nations five years ago. In other words, Trinity Presbyterian Church in Clearwater is ground zero for teaching neo-Marxism, dismantling Christianity, and teaching all of their members to develop a Marxist-tinged critical consciousness. To look at everything around you that is part of the American way of life and criticize it, down to the bone. To look at everything that is around you in a Judeo-Christian worldview and criticize it, down to the ground. And then, when you are done tearing everything down to rubble, well, then you fill your mind with Hegel, Marx, Gramsci, Horkheimer, Lukács, Marcusa, Derrida, and Foucault, and you build back better. That is what the church that Kevin Hayslett was a member of is doing with their members. It is a church that accelerates the contradictions. It is a church that supports Black Lives Matter, the Marxist group that tried to burn down the nation and then end capitalism. Yes, that group. And that is where Kevin Hazlett, in his own words and on his campaign website, said that he was a member. So, I brought this up to one of Kevin Hazlett's strongest supporters. And I brought this up while he was trying to convince me that Kevin was the long-awaited Messiah and that Anna Polina Luna was the Antichrist. And within 15 minutes, that Hazlett supporter called me back and said something in the fashion of, uh, look, um, Kevin is... Uh, well, he says that that church where he and his family went for years, not really going there anymore, and now he is changing churches to Harborside Christian. And my response was, oh, so he is changing churches based upon my phone call, upon my concerns. Really? And again, his answer was, well, I guess according to Kevin, that they really don't go there now, now, and now they're at Harborside. So here is what you are supposed to believe, that Kevin Hazlett took the time to put on his campaign website, and I have it listed on the article that accompanies this podcast, that Kevin Hazlett took the time to put on his brief campaign page that he is a member of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Clearwater, a critical race theory-infusing, neo-Marxist, everything-is-racist-in-American-must-be-changed-now church. And now, well, I, I really don't go there anymore. In one phone call? Well, what else does Kevin have on his campaign website that he really doesn't believe? Because his membership at Trinity Presbyterian indicates that he doesn't believe anything that he says he believes. But the funniest thing happened. Just a few hours after my phone call with the Hazlett supporter, all of the sudden, Kevin now has Harborside as his church listed on his website. I mean, he went from identifying himself as a member of a critical race theory pushing, America dismantling, let's deconstruct Jesus Christ and Christianity church to, now I am a soft evangelical, within the span of a few minutes. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is quite telling. And what it says is that this man has absolutely no convictions or principles about what he says he really believes. It tells me that he was willing to renounce what he himself claimed, changed it, and went 180 degrees in the other direction without saying why. In other words, he just changed like a chameleon because it was politically expedient in just a few minutes after one phone call. Now, I would ask you, is that the kind of man that you want representing you in Congress? Do you want a man that will make false claims to defeat his opponent so he can win and take a seat of power, only to turn his back on what he was just saying to get elected? Well, the story doesn't end there. We had the debate. The candidates came, and much to everyone's surprise, including mine, Anna Polina Luna showed up last minute. And the stage had already been prepped with a podium with her name. 
and we had the debate. During that debate, which started off civil enough, it immediately turned ad hominem, particularly from Christine Quinn. And of course, it was all directed towards Anna Paulina Luna. Now, this is after the candidates vowed to not descend into ad hominem and cheap shots. And on the other hand, all the negativity was directed towards one person, Anna Paulina Luna. Now, I know that Anna and Amanda don't get along, even though I like the both of them, but that wasn't the dynamic. And you can watch the video on your YouTube page. The dynamic was that Christine Quinn, Audrey Henson, and Kevin Hazlett were going to engage in a love fest for one another. They were going to sing praises of one another. They were going to compliment one another. They were going to throw questions filled with compliments towards one another. But when it came to Ina Polina Luna, Christine Quinn was going to attack with every bit of venom and hatred that she could. And Kevin could then stay out of the fray. He wouldn't have to say a word and could appear rather presidential, rather dignified, in fact, because he wouldn't be attacked at all, even though Kevin has said some rather disturbing things from the stage that evening. And many people asked me why I didn't dig further into Kevin that evening, and my response was that it wasn't my job. My job was to ensure that we had a quality debate. My job was not to debate the debaters. And it was obvious that Christine Quinn's job was to attack Anna Polina Luna and coordinate with Kevin and Audrey Henson because they had been coordinating for weeks before the debate. <laughs> they freely admitted that. Now, if you were to ask me who I thought won the debate, I would say that both Anna Polina Luna and Amanda Mackey did very well, but especially Luna under being attacked. Now, I think that Audrey Henson lost the room when she sang of the glories of neoconservative rhino globalist Nikki Haley. Christine Quinn lost the room with her poorly prepared half-answers and her obviously prepared plan to attack Luna. Oh, and by the way, Christine sent me an email the next day criticizing me for doing what I told the debaters I would do. And what I said I would do is enforce a non-ad hominem debate. And then there was Kevin. And when I asked the participants about the threat of central banks and the move to digitize currency and to change monetary instruments. Kevin stated that the United States had to catch up with the rest of the world with digital currency and that it was all going to be okay with blockchain technology, so everything was going to be great. Well, blockchain is not only a crappy technology, but a bad vision for the future. And its failure to achieve adoption to date is because systems are built on trust, on norms and institutions, and they inherently function better than the type of no-need-for-trusted-party systems blockchain envisions. Basically, what you're doing is you're creating feudal currency. Now, that's permanent. No matter how much blockchain improves, it is still headed in the wrong direction. In fact, if you look at any blockchain solution, inevitably, you'll find an awkward workaround to recreate trusted parties in a trustless world. But let's once again examine the issues with pushing our nation and the rest of civilization into digital currency. Now, I've spoken about this quite a bit in the past. And let me preface my comments on digital currency by saying... Those that are seeking to change everything around you are taking the boil frog approach incrementally, bit by bit by tiny bit. Not all at once, of course, because it is about controlling you. They are softening you up with body blows to freedom every day. They are trying to get you accustomed to totalitarianism, and they won't do it in one fell swoop, because it's disturbing to have a bunch of jackbooted thugs show up at your door overnight. People will begin to take the change seriously and will stand up to that kind of use of force. So you take the boil frog approach, and you will put up with it, and those that seek to control you will take over your life, your nation, your church, your future, inch by tiny inch. And with the boil frog approach, all of a sudden you find yourself boiling to death. 
because they turned up the heat slowly. Because you won't feel assaulted if this takeover is done incrementally. If they try to do this overnight, you would resist with everything that you have. And they know that. And what they are counting on is that you will be a useful idiot and not push back. Maybe you'll even vote for someone who's pushing digital currency. They are counting you to be a reasonable man. The kind of man that doesn't overreact. The kind of man who won't fight for his family, nation, or church. They are counting on you looking at others who are calling everyone to action and calling them unreasonable even though you are in the middle of fifth generational warfare. They know that if it is done in baby steps, you know, kind of like when you're going to take your dog's favorite toy from him, he won't growl or even notice. They expect you to do nothing that will actually prevent them from changing our nation into an autocratic state. And how quickly can this happen? Very quickly, within months. Heck, just look at Australia. Look at the Netherlands right now. And if we continue at this pace, with all of us just reacting with blog posts to their assault on America, then we will wake up two years from now and say, what just happened? Or, I wish I would have known that this was going to happen back in 2022. I would have done something about it. No, you probably wouldn't. But only you can determine that. The first thing that you're going to have to do is reckon with yourself. Look in the mirror and say, we will not be going back to normal. And if I don't act soon and do things that my tribe would consider unreasonable, then my family will not have a future in a constitutional nation. You must wake up to reality. You must snap out of your mind's natural inclination to go back to a center point of desiring normalcy. Well, you are going to have to fight for that normalcy. They only want to control you, a descent into control and madness. For example, going back to our original premise, digital currency is now on the horizon. And it will take men in Congress, like Kevin Hazlett, to push us over the edge. And a digital currency is about three things. If you are taking notes... Number one, surveillance, watching every penny that you spend. Number two, control, making sure you don't buy guns or alcohol or take trips where you shouldn't go or to buy foods that you shouldn't buy or maybe that you shouldn't support candidates or churches that they find less than helpful for the revolution. Number three, negative interest rates. The government wants to borrow money endlessly and spend money that they don't have. And the best way to devalue the debt they accumulate is to make sure interest rates are negative. If you make interest rates negative, you devalue your own debt. That's how digital currency plays into this mess. Especially with the let's stop inflation bill that they just passed. They're going to bring us to the edge. And the one way they can get out of it is by devaluing our currency. By going into digital currency. Now, you probably know, although you haven't lived in a society that has done this before, that people don't like negative interest rates. You want to put your money in a bank if it's going to lose value every day? That's what would happen. Well, so what do people do? Well, people take the cash out of the bank and they put it in a safe. Well, what if there was no cash to take out of the bank and it was only digital? And every day the government took more and more from negative interest rates. It would be the easy way to tax everyone if cash is gone. And as you should know, every communist loves Negative interest rates. Because a technocratic state must have total control, total and complete control over your money, over our money, over your funds. 
And why is this happening, you might ask? What was clearly stated by Marx and Engels in the Communist Manifesto. Quote, The communists disdain to conceal their views and aims. They openly declare that their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. Let the ruling classes tremble at a communistic revolution. The proletarians have nothing to lose but their chains. They have a world to win. End quote. And they are here to win your world. They conceal their views and aims to lead a revolution. And first, as was just said, that their ends, their goals, can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. In other words, everything that is current must be overthrown, and then they can build back better, which is building back in a model that is a globalist, socialist, borderless, constitutionalist, authoritarian, corporatist, oligocracy, ruled by algorithm through AI in the Internet of Things. And for this to work, they must control everything, including your currency, including the way that you spend money. There are so many other things happening right now, but I really need for you to take a moment to understand what moment we are in. You are in a hinge moment of history. How you respond right now, how you vote right now, in this nation, in this moment, may be the thing that determines whether or not there will be free men in the future. This administration and this Congress are hostile to the United States of America and to our Constitution. If you are someone who is employed, how will this administration's actions affect your employment contract if the U.S. dollar is not the standard of currency? If you live in a home that you have a 15-year mortgage on and you are on year five or six, what happens if the monetary instruments all change all of a sudden? If you are a ministry and depend on donations, what happens if the digital currency you receive has been degraded due to negative interest rates? Or because your ESG score is not high enough? For that matter, what if the doctrine that you teach if you aren't teaching the anti-racist doctrine of, let's say, Trinity Presbyterian Church in Clearwater, who is to say that your C3 status is removed and funds are suspended in your new digital currency account because you aren't teaching the right thing that the Biden administration wants you to teach? Is any of this starting to hit you yet? Are you beginning to understand the implications of digital currency being a part of this Build Back Better plan? It's a part of it, even blockchain technology. And that is what Kevin Hazlett is pushing. It is all Build Back Bolshevik. It is control, control of your spending, control of your saving, control of your speech, control of your life. They are taking full control of your entire life and to become completely transparent. And so you have a man whose advertisements keep on saying that he is a former prosecutor. That's Kevin Hazlett. Well, that is former. What is Kevin Hazlett now? Kevin is now the man you go to if you have been charged with a DUI, if you have been caught with meth. If you are Hunter Biden, if you are Jeffrey Epstein, he is the man you go to in order to get off or to have a reduced sentence. Now Kevin, after April, is saying that he is a member at Harborside Christian Church. But he had just said, and even put on his website, that he was a member of a progressive deconstructionist church who was pushing amnesty, Black Lives Matter, and critical race theory. In other words... Kevin Hayslet is not trustworthy. Kevin Hayslet is not worthy of your trust. So when Kevin Hayslet and his rhino machine began to crank out a propaganda campaign on Anna Paulina Luna, and after all the lies that Kevin Hayslet has told about himself, 
Did you expect for Kevin Hazlett to tell the truth about his political opponents? No. Of course not. Kevin Hazlett can't even tell the truth about himself. And the slimy, reflexive propaganda campaign that Kevin Hazlett has unleashed on Anna Polina Luna is enough to make a Democrat blush. It is all reflexivity. It is the constant feedback loop of what you want someone to believe. And in the center of reflexivity is a fertile fallacy. A fertile fallacy is a lie that has legs. Stating that Anna Polina Luna is for open borders and amnesty, which she clearly is not. And so to keep the lie going, they use redacted, non-contextual clips of what Luna has said in the past. And you never have the opportunity to hear what Luna has really said in context. She is for intensive, strong border security and is against amnesty for illegals. And many of Kevin's financial backers are for open borders. And this is why President Trump has officially endorsed Anna Paulina Luna. And so, Kevin plays another fertile fallacy, another propaganda campaign. So Kevin lies and keeps touting himself as a Trump Republican on all of his signs, on all of his advertisements on TV. Even though everything that Kevin has done or said that Kevin believes is the opposite of what President Trump would believe or do. He even has never Trumpers speaking at his campaign fundraisers. Kevin Hazlett is propaganda. Propaganda for a progressive pretending to be a conservative. And if you buy into Kevin Hazlett's propaganda, you will be stuck with it. You will, if you vote for Kevin Hazlett, put propaganda into action. And by putting it into action, as Jacques Ellul has said, Action makes propaganda's effect irreversible. He who acts in obedience to propaganda can never go back. You are now obliged to believe in that propaganda because of your past action. You are obliged to continue to advance in the direction indicated by that propaganda. For action demands more action. And ladies and gentlemen, don't Make the mistake and take the action of voting for a man who is a simulation of a conservative. A man completely created by propaganda. A man who is never who he says what he is. And this is why I am going to implore you, if you live in Tampa Bay, to stand with former President Donald Trump. To stand with Donald Trump Jr., to stand with Lauren Boebert, to stand with Marjorie Taylor Greene, and to stand with Michael O'Fallon and support Anna Paulina Luna for Congress in 2022. We cannot allow a man who is as deceitful and dishonest as Kevin Hazlett to represent Pinellas County. We cannot trust that a man who has told lie after lie about himself and his opponents to all of a sudden start telling the truth in Congress. You cannot allow a man who desires to plunge our monetary instruments into digital currencies that will be controlled by a technocratic tyrannical state. You must stand for Anna Paulina Luna. You must vote for Anna Paulina Luna if we are going to take back America. If we are going to challenge the globalists and the propagandists of our age, we must defeat dishonest men like Kevin Hazlett. And we must support honest fighters like Anna Paulina Luna. Today is your day to support freedom and liberty. Today is your day to fight for a cause and to have your voice heard. And on Tuesday, August 23rd, we must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. Thank you.